This is the Love and Sex Unfiltered Podcast. Hosted by licensed marriage and family therapist and certified Gottman Method couples therapist, Sonia Jensen. Let's dive into the unfiltered side of what it takes to create communication, intimacy, and chemistry, not just in relationships with a partner, but the relationship you have with you. Here's your host, Sonia Jensen. Welcome to another session of the Love and Sex Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Jensen, and I have some new guests with me today. Actually, one very special guest. It's my son, Gavin. Hi. Gavin is a newly minted 15-year-old from just a week ago, so hopefully people will get on the podcast and say happy birthday, Gavin. And then I have my hubby, Eric. Hello. And our friend, Andrew, is back. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. <laughs> so as soon as we got done finishing the last podcast, Andrew was like, great, I'm ready to go. Let's, <laughs> let's dive deeper. And I was like, you know what? We should talk about sex, right? And then I was like, let's get Gavin from upstairs who's watching. He's finally watching Stranger Things. And I said, let's get Gavin involved in the conversation around sex. Now we have somebody in their teenage years. We have somebody in their 20s. I'm in my mid-30s. Eric, you're the old man. Yeah, late 30s. (laughs) We're just just considering you the the oldest one in the room. So, therefore, the most experienced. And so, I think it'll be interesting to talk about, you know, I think a lot of people wonder what it's like for a 15-year-old to grow up in a house with parents that actually talk about sex. I mean, what is that experience like for you, Gavin? At this point, it's kind of normal. You know, my yeah. friends will tremble and saying the word sex. It's kind of <laughs> weird. And I say it just feels so natural. Yeah. It doesn't scare it you. It doesn't scare me like anyone else. Right. Yeah. The normal thing. It scared me at 15, for sure. Yeah. yeah sure. Oh, my parents were the opposite of yours, though, where it was never talk about sex. And that wasn't ever, ever a topic of conversation. And I can imagine it's probably uncomfortable sometimes with some of the conversations you might have with your parents, but it is. Cool. He's, he's shaking his head. He's like, he's yeah. Like, he's yeah. like very much agree with me in his body language. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we do get into some weird, uncomfortable things sometimes, but you can tell how it translates, obviously, to you being with your friends to where you're comfortable. Oh, for sure. And these taboo subjects that kind of make little kids be like, whoa. <laughs> Well, you know, Andrew, you and I were talking before this about what it was like to grow up in homes where sex was so taboo and then having to figure out everything by yourself. Mm -hmm. You're only learning either from porn or you're learning from your friends or you're just kind of figuring it out and fumbling it out as you go along. And I know, Eric, you grew up that same way oh yeah it was forbidden it was absolutely forbidden to, to, to like to do it but my mom would have, like every once in a while tell us you know a little bit of snippets about sex but i mean it was just so forbidden for us i literally thought that the first time i ever had sex that God was going to come out of the heavens and like strike me with lightning. And I remember <laughs> after after the first time with you, I walk out and you were like trying to walk me to downtown San Diego for dinner. And I was like looking up at the clouds like, oh, my God, was it, the lightning's coming. And then nothing, nothing happened and I didn't die. But I, w- I remember thinking to myself, 
the sex is so bad. It's so scary. It's so wrong. It's really something that you should be afraid of. And it's definitely not something you should enjoy. But, you know, everybody would say things, well, like you can enjoy it after you're married, right? But what does that mean? How does that translate? If for like your whole sexual development, you're told your body is wrong, your impulses are bad, or nobody tells you anything about it, you know, to all of a sudden translate to your, you, you've signed a piece of paper and made a lifelong commitment and now sex is just supposed to be great. Right. And, and, and that's frequent and, yeah. and comfortable and always available. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. You brought up so many points that were really important. I think it is important to say that I give my parents, for example, a hard time about sheltering. Perhaps you do as well, Eric. Oh yeah. With that same sheltering mentality that went on. You know, but to my parents' credit, perhaps to yours as well, it's not as if there wasn't some logic rooted in their warnings, which is that sex is dangerous. Oh, yeah. Sex can be very dangerous. I mean, number one, you can have a kid. But That's super dangerous. Get, what, with the wrong person. <laughs> with the wrong, the wrong person, life, yeah. yeah. And if you actually think about the weight of the responsibility associated For with sure. that, um, mm, yeah, absolutely. it can be very dangerous in terms of, of just not being prepared for it. And also, there's that that connection that comes from having sex with somebody yeah. that even if you don't have a kid, you're, you're interwoven with each other to a degree. And perhaps if you're not careful with who you choose to become interwoven with, maybe that's not always in your best interest. For even sure. if at the time the sex is great or it is sex or it feels like it might be a good thing, it can still be very dangerous. And so where I do wish that we had had more conversation about it in my family, I can at least appreciate the, sentiments of the warnings, which mm-hmm. is just be careful. This is something powerful that you're playing with and it's not to be taken lightly. Yeah. The one of the things as I've started as I've really studied sex and work with couples, I always wanted my kids, you know, particularly Gavin, because he's a teenager, Lila's young at this point. But I wanted him to know like there are dangers, there's there are boundaries around sex. But I didn't want him to have ideas of sex that weren't true, Mm. right? I wanted him to know, like, sex shouldn't be painful, right? Right. I wanted him to know that what consent was for both him and for, you know, in this case, he is hetero. So, you know, in this case, the woman, right? right? I wanted him to know the, the weight and the responsibility. Like, you can be on, you know, the girl can be on birth control and you can be using a condom, but that doesn't mean you're not, you're not going to get her pregnant. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm like, right. don't, don't start having sex unless, like, you are willing to take that risk. That's exactly right. Yeah, right? that's so important that you're willing to take that risk. Yeah. Even if you have to use a condom, I don't care what she says. Right, I don't care what she says. That's great advice coming from Sonia Jensen herself. (laughs) Trust but verify is always important, but you can always take measures into your own hands. It's important to remember as a man in this world. I agree. What are are you seeing in the kids your age, Gavin, when they talk about sex? I mean, they see it more as a joke. Mm. Something just kind of to laugh at. It's still like you can hear them tremble in their voice when saying sex. It's... uh, they obviously don't talk about it a lot at home. Um, yeah. But it's really bad. Really? It's just more of a joke than anything like serious or a natural matter that some yeah. should be worried about or some should not be. Yeah. And, and you've already had instances in high school, right, where you've been confronted with girls that are willingly giving their consent by sending you photos 
by touching you, by making you feel uncomfortable in pursuing you so heavily, but you didn't have consent for that. And I think we rarely talk about how you got to be careful, like sending pictures to people, right? You got to, you you know, I know that was extremely uncomfortable for you. I don't know if every guy your age would think that was uncomfortable, but for you, the conversations we had. I was definitely shaking a bit when on that conversation. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Like we were talking about earlier with this being a very vulnerable topic. When somebody's willing to do that and go to that length, and perhaps you're not, especially with that person. Yeah. I can see how that's a consequence for sure. Yeah. It's a very, very talk about being vulnerable. I mean, you send a new photo to somebody that's about as vulnerable as it gets. Right. If they're not in a place to receive that, it can become very, yeah, very strange very quickly. Yeah. And I, I think the majority of people get their idea of what sex is supposed to be like through porn. That's the number one educational. And I right. say that with air quotes, you know, <laughs> but what I like to tell parents is that you have to tell your kids that porn is adult entertainment. It is not for children. And it is not representative of what real sex with a human being, another human consenting adult is supposed to be like. It's for entertainment. Right. In the same way that a movie doesn't replicate life. Right. right? Where maybe there's nuanced components of it that are similar and relatable, even desirable, but it's not a cookie cutter. I can take this and apply it to this. But oftentimes, too, people look at porn to feel like they are watching somebody that's like themselves, right? So if I have, uh, people use it to feel less alone. If they have certain kinks or fetishes, Mm. or maybe they grew up in a conservative household that was told like homosexuality is wrong, right? And so like they're they're looking at porn that helps them feel like they're a part of a community, right? But nobody's teaching them the nuances of like in the realities of what Mm. sex actually is. And, you know, I remember thinking that I was always going to have sex with the lights off and full makeup on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. you couldn't see me, but I better look, I better look good all, all the time. Right. And now Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't care whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But you still care. I do. I do care. I I do believe that men should always manscape from the only woman in the room. I'm just saying. <laughs> so shave your balls. <laughs> shave your balls or manicure your balls. <laughs> There's a big difference. It's Do big tell. Difference. Do tell. Well, you could trim or you could shave. What do you mean? There's not. It's okay. Pretty or you can style. You can style. I'm this coming from my son. Let's talk after the podcast, Gavin. You're 15 years old and already knows more than me. <laughs> okay, but another thing though, which a lot of a lot of men will tell me, like when I meet with them one on one as part of an assessment, a lot of times their wife doesn't use hygiene, mm. right? Like you got to keep that sucker manicured too, right? You got to make sure it smells good and it looks good, right? Yeah. right? It goes both ways. I think you're always having. But I also think a component of that is doing that for yourself. Yeah, well, that goes back to our previous. Uh previous episode where we were talking a lot about the personal development that oftentimes comes prior to relationships. Yeah. Personal hygiene, being able to take care of yourself, just being a healthy human, knowing how to brush your teeth, how to take a shower. Clean your you know, butt. How to clean something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how to clean your butt. 
I mean, all of these things are important. <laughs> Very yeah, important. Especially when you step into the bedroom yeah. and get serious and to get intimate, your butt's sticking. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. not going to have a very wonderful experience, mm-hmm. or you might end up being a little bit embarrassed. You uh, might. Yeah. A you, little you just bit. Might, or a maybe little you'll discover you've got more in common with your partner than you thought. And in that case, you know, maybe you're lucky. Eric and I were coming home from our date night the other night, and I was like, it would be just so weird to be out at a club just dancing with somebody randomly and then take them home, and it's, like, time for sex, and, like, you're all sweaty and gross. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? You're going to have them sit out on the couch while you go shower? Right. <laughs> so it's, a lot of times people don't understand. There are really, like, five main components to healthy sexuality. Maybe I'm okay, missing some, but, but let, me, let me talk about the ones I know. Okay. okay. Yeah, One. let's try to stay within the realm. Healthy sex has mutual consent. Both people, at, you know, know that they want this. And at every stage of this process, they are saying yes. Okay. Either with their actions mm-hmm. or with their words. But you can remove consent at any time. But here's the thing. And this is for married couples, too. You don't have to have sex with your partner just because you're married. Like, if you don't want to have sex, you don't have to. And I have to teach a lot of people this, that, like, sex should always be consensual. You didn't sign the agreement of getting married, which means 100% carte blanche, your partner can Mm -hmm. have at you anytime they want. Rape happens in committed marriages. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you're not into it and you keep saying yes and you don't want to, that's not consent. So healthy sexuality is mutual consent. It's also shared values, right? I want what you want. Say, for example, I know I'm going into a situation and I just want a one-night hookup, right? And the person that I am wanting to have that one-night hookup with has told me that they don't want to have sex unless they can see having a long-term relationship with somebody. And I know I don't want a long-term relationship with that person. We're not living on a shared value plane, right? You know, I think even in long-term committed relationships, like there is an element of shared values in that, that has to play out. You both have to be wanting the connection, the closeness, the fun, the pleasure, right? If at any time it doesn't feel right, where one person wants something that goes outside your value system, you know, you got to be able to talk about that. And then there is free of coercion, right? Like if I'm in a place of power, men oftentimes in religious communities will use that like place of power, right? Or in the workplace community, Or in high school, like, or, you know, we've seen it time and time again in teachers and students, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it has to be free of coercion. It has to be something where both people are consenting and at the same level. Sure. At the same level, right. So that's four. Okay. And then free, or not free of, but managed risk of pregnancy and STI. The STI makes complete sense. I am surprised at the managed risk of pregnancy for good sex. Oh, for healthy sex. For healthy sex. Right? Like you you want to make sure that both people are using appropriate birth control. Sure. Right? And that if one person, like I know plenty of people that have sex and they're trying to get pregnant, but they're not telling the person that they're sleeping with that That's they're trying to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Right? I, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Another uh, reason why I'm so, so what you call it, cautious. Cautious. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and but I mean, you can't be free of it 100%, but I'll even see in married couples where, you know, one partner will refuse to have sex because she doesn't want pregnancy. But instead of just telling her partner, like, I want to go on birth control, I don't want to get pregnant, she's just refusing sex. 
Okay. And STIs, like you want to make sure that you're being honest with the person you're having sex with if there's a risk of STIs, if you've been exposed to it, like you're using condoms. And then last but not least is mutual pleasure. That healthy sex is where both people are experiencing experiencing mutual pleasure. Um, that it feels good for both people and they're enjoying it. Yeah. So there you go, Gavin. That's your sex. That's your sex ed. Sex ed. Right. That's better than what my (laughs) physics teacher gave me in 11th grade, dude. So just imagine what Mr. Burns would have whipped up for 22 of us 15 year old kids. (laughs) Poor guy. Probably had a hard time at it. We didn't get to sit down and have a proper conversation like this. But that's the thing is, like, we don't have proper education. For, for kids. No, we don't. And you made a point, I think it was in our previous episode, just about the quality of information that you have access to. Um, I think at the time we were talking about premarital counseling and how proper information can help you with deciding and making a long-term commitment. Yeah. Well, the same thing goes with sex. You know, proper information can help you make good decisions in anything, including if you're going to have sex and then with whom once you decide. Right. That you do, in fact, you are ready for that for that step. So I think that's pretty neat. Eric used to think that you could get a girl pregnant by kissing her. Wasn't that you, babe? Yeah, my parents, t- I think, taught me that when I was in first grade. <laughs> God, how terrible. <laughs> I terrible. Yeah, and so, so when I was playing in the neighborhood and the, I saw one kid kiss another kid's cheek for fun. It was just the playing joke on each other. And I was like, oh, no, you got that. You got your friend pregnant, but they're both boys. And I was like, I wonder how that works. Yeah. I wonder. Right. That sex, that sex leads to pregnancy. And what is sex, right? The definition of sex is changing so much because culturally our ideas around sex are so different, right? Like it, we used to think that sex was, you know, penetration, penis to, you know, vagina or penis to anus or whatever that would be sex. But like that doesn't take into account all different types of relationships and sure. sexual identity uh, and things like that. So sex is, is the feeling of a pleasurable experience, right? And how you experience that pleasure it can depend on the type of relationship that you're in. We're both people are, are mutually consenting and having a mutually pleasurable experience that can be considered sex. And it doesn't even have to reach orgasm. Right. Well, unfortunately for a lot of women out there, I don't think every time somebody has sex, they reach orgasm. Thank you for saying that. I was just telling, I was just talking with a couple today about how six, what is successful sex. Right. And most people will tell you successful sex is when both people have an orgasm. Right. And that's not necessarily true. Is it not? It's not. Because think about it. Like you can achieve more things than just an orgasm through sex. Is that the premise? That yeah, you can achieve connection. You can mm-hmm. achieve a pleasurable moment where you're lost in an experience. My son's rocking back and forth right now as he listens to this <laughs> conversation. It's all right, Gavin. You're going to be okay. <laughs> Check in with everybody on your feelings, babe. <laughs> are, are you feeling okay? I'm feeling okay. I'm tired. Okay. Yeah. He's like, this is like topic of conversation over dinner last night. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not <laughs> video games. Yeah, it's not video games. He's like, whatever. Sex is so boring. Blah, 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 blah. blah, blah. blah. But Get like, there's a lot of studies that showcase men starting in their 20s on up. We see higher rates of erectile dysfunction are not getting to completion. So, right. well, because of anxiety. Right. Anxiety is a major cause. Um, I've also discovered that, especially in the United States, your 
our diet, I would encourage everybody to get their blood work done. Yeah, yeah. Because you can discover simple things like just within your diet or within your framework that are leading to some of those difficulties. Yeah. If you will, and that it is something that's not talked about and is extremely taboo. And for a man can just be oh. completely debilitated. Oh, for sure. For in sure. terms of just like, what is your worth? What are you capable of? Are you even a man? Do you get invested? Do you completely avoid everything just in case it might go to that moment? Right. You know, that you don't want it to go to. So what? Right. how many moments do you avoid just right. to not have that potential small case scenario right. come to fruition. Right. That's, yeah, I think that this is something that needs to be talked about all the time. It's just lots of things you can do if you are experiencing ED. And it's also important to understand that most of the time, if that's the case, it's just because you've been deviated from healthy. Yeah. Most men, if healthy, don't necessarily have the problem. Well, that's it, you an know, it is empowering too. Like you really have to know your health. You have to look at sex as part of a holistic spectrum, exactly. right? Like your mental health and your physical health and your relational health, you know, the, your partner's health. But anxiety is actually one of the biggest reasons that men yeah. don't reach orgasm or cannot sustain an erection. So like if you put successful sex at always having an orgasm, mm. you're, you set the standard for failing. You set the standard for failing. And most women, it takes 15 minutes of active stimulation. 80% of women in a study done showcase that they had an orgasm after 15 minutes. I heard that. 80%. Wow. Meaning you, for 17. <laughs> right? So, but most women, most women get orgasm shamed from their partners. Like, why is it taking so long? Like, uh, oh, you took forever or like getting tired of it or not like taking the time to recognize that women's bodies are different, and, sure. you know, and it takes a long time. Sure. So there's anxiety on both parts for both, you know, for both partners to make sure that to take the pressure off sex being anything other than just something that where we get lost in the moment and enjoy ourselves and right. have pleasure. Well, with I think, and maybe you could, you could expand on if this is the way that women approach sex, but I know for men, like sex is very, it, it's almost as if what we're here to do is sex in a lot of ways. Like there's yeah. this very biological, very like primal feeling around sex. That's kind of speaks to our purpose in a way. I'm not sure if that's because like we help with like the creating of the life um, and we're just really propelled to do that portion of it. But when you're unable to do so or you have a partner and you're unable to please her and you feel as if this very fundamental component of life, this very biological primal component of life you're failing at, <laughs> you know, that can be completely mm. debilitating. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, I've got a couple of friends who have been through experiences like that. And when I was young, I had a couple of experiences like that. And it really was debilitating from the way that you viewed yourself, the way that you then viewed your relationship, and then how you conducted and carried yourself. Right, because then you start to avoid it altogether right. because you're so ashamed that you can't even have a conversation shame, about it. The shame is such a word. Yeah, it's so important. And then it's taboo for men to, you know, men have sex. That's what we do. Like you go to talk to your buddy and one of the first things you say, you know, if you're just a friend at work, for example, is you bring up something like that. Yeah. You know, guess what I'm about to do or check out this girl or last weekend or, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the gap. That's just such a part of what we are. And if you're not able to come to that conversation with anything but shame, it can really reduce who you feel as if you are. So, really so you guys as men in the room, because I'm the only girl in the room, how do you reduce shame when it comes to 
being more open and vulnerable and trying to be present in the moment when it comes to sex or intimacy or in this case, Gavin, because I know you're not sexually active. Like, how do you talk to girls without anxiety? I mean, all my friends are kind of girls. So, I mean, I just talk to them how I would any other guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, is that why they chase you? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know if they do. I don't know if you they don't. like any other guy. Well, I'm special. Why doesn't he get me more attention? <laughs> right. Right. Well, I feel like the path to like having better sex requires that vulnerability. And I feel like if it wasn't for like me, like just assessing my risk, my risk versus benefits, I definitely felt like having a strong sexual relationship with you, Sonia, was more important than any of my other needs. So I was willing to like, just put that to the side and give you what you were looking for in our relationship. And it also uh, trained me to be able to advocate for myself and those mm-hmm. needs as well. So that way we're, we can plan for like a better future. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Did you, did you feel like you made a point in there where you said you started advocating for yourself more mm-hmm. and learned how to do that? Mm-hmm. Do you, was that a turning point of any kind where you were able to get what you needed out of this interaction? Did you feel yeah. as if you, did yeah. you feel more power? Did you feel less shame? So, feel- so this kind of comes for a full circle with the beginning of our conversation, you know, like how, like you said earlier, some people go seven years of marriage dysfunction before they get a divorce. And it's like that seven years, they've been drifting apart farther and farther, you know, and they weren't able to come back, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, that happens a lot in our relationship, but we don't allow it to deviate too far because we always recognize like our relationship is more important than whatever is putting us off course. And so these are the sacrifices that we've made over the years to protect that, you know, and there's, I know I've had to give up a lot of stuff, you know, but in the end it was worth it. I'm glad we did. Well, but how did, how did you reduce your anxiety around talking to me? Because there was times like in our experience where I had no idea how to talk to you. Like I felt like I failed at something because, you know, you didn't have an orgasm or like you didn't finish. So like, was that really sex? And I think I would make comments that Mm -hmm. I like obviously before I knew what the hell I was talking about that were probably really hurtful Mm -hmm. to you that I didn't understand or and, hurtful. I, and I didn't understand either until I got older and I was starting to like really assess the situation. Like, why is, did we have dysfunction, dysfunctional sex? You know, what was that? What caused that? What was leading up to this? What are the variables? And I started looking at it that way and I started realizing like our needs weren't being met with each other, which caused, uh, dis, you know, dysfunctional sex. And so I was like, if I want to be more engaged in our, our sex, then I want to, you know, there's... You want like, me to be more engaged in it? No, no, yes. <laughs> but it was like, you know, there there was some things that I had to tell you that I didn't like, you know, that you're doing or saying maybe earlier in the day or maybe last week or... What or I would like make pro- you feel bad for having a strong sex drive. I'm like, God, get off me. <laughs> or even in the process of having sex, like if you made like a like a comment, you know, that was mean or whatever. Like hurry up. Yeah, or yeah. <laughs> then it just kinda it distracts me. But but I at that time though I recognized though that you had a lot of needs that you needed met too because it was hard for you to get in the mood. Right. Because so, contextually, you yeah. know, I couldn't be there. Yeah. 
So, you know, we've started having those conversations. They were painful at first and it was not easy for us to figure out what was going on, but we like, we at least, we started talking about it. And I think after having several conversations about it, we started like understanding like the finesse, like the nuance of what you want versus what I want and the sacrifices we had to make in other parts of our relationship to make sex work. And, only, and sex could only work if everything is, there's an equilibrium in all areas of our relationship. Interesting. So then would you recommend that it's a good idea to find those places that are out of equilibrium if you are experiencing difficulty getting on the same page with your partner about sex? Yeah, I mean, it's just like your grass, you know, you got to maintain it. You got to cut right. it every week. If you only cut one side of your grass. It's just like real other. grass or like yeah. theoretical grass. So, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might have applied to yeah. Maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah, trim your time. grass. <laughs> right. Yeah, We're going to hashtag that. Hashtag trim your grass. It's important. Because if you don't, the weed starts to grow. And right. It starts to be unkept. And yeah. it's a distraction and it's unpleasant. Yeah. So we have, there's constant maintenance of all areas of our, of our own lives and in our, and in the context of our relationship that if we neglect something, usually down the road, it, it progresses to sexual dysfunction, whatever that may be. Interesting. Yeah. Like if we're super stressed out, we're not making time for each other. Um, Eric knows that like coffee time in the morning for me every day, like his butt better be out here, even if he's exhausted, like, yes, and he, if I've that's my that. foreplay, right? Like I have to have coffee in the morning to even consider intimacy yeah. throughout the rest of the day with uh-huh. you where we're talking, or like, I need you to text me and tell me you love me or, yeah. you know, um, because of our living situation right now where I'm working and you're a student, right? Like yeah. me coming home from work and you already making dinner and helping me yeah. put the kids to bed, that that feels like love yeah. and foreplay to me, even though it's not yeah. sexual, right? So if you're neglecting yeah. those things for me and I'm super stressed out and resentful of you and you come and you're like, babe, and you're yeah. like grabbing my tit or and like smacking my ass, I'm going to be like, no, thank yes. you. And then I had to think about what led to this situation. Right. <laughs> and like, you had like, everything was fine. We just, we were laughing 20 yeah. minutes ago. I and, thought we were cool. And at five forty in the morning, I don't want to be getting out of bed. I I am not a morning person, and I hate it. It's painful to get out of bed for me, and but I do it because I know what what's more important is. I want to support Sonia and show her that I care and be there for her in the way that she needs because I know mm-hmm. that's really critical to having healthy sex later. So when you talk about sacrifices, this is one of those things that you mean. So yeah. finding that equilibrium where for you, it gets you a little bit out of your comfort zone. Yeah. For her, it's absolutely critical to get into her zone. Mm-hmm. So you sacrifice that mm-hmm. yeah. for that joint ability to get where mm-hmm. you both need to be. And have a good attitude about it too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's probably very important to the sex happy at the end of the day. Yeah. But yes. I think it's interesting. Like a lot of couples will say like, I'm doing all those things. Like I'm doing the dishes and I'm helping put the kids to bed. And my partner still doesn't like want to initiate back or is non-responsive. And then we get into this relationship that's quid pro quo. I'll meet your needs when you meet mine. And that's mm. extremely destructive right. to a relationship. It's a Even hard conversation. Sense. It's a hard conversation to have, though, initially. Well, the conversation that you voiced y'all having early on where you you discussed some of the things that were making you uncomfortable or that you didn't like. like Even just hearing you talk about it made me uncomfortable because I was thinking about having that conversation. And it feels like it would be a very difficult one yes 
because at you're, first you're it bearing is. your entire self. Yeah. You yeah. know, in the most vulnerable of ways. Mm-hmm. In one of the most vulnerable situations, which is sex. Oh, absolutely. I think mm-hmm. sex is, is absolutely one of the most vulnerable I mean, forms I, of that's, communication that's kind ever. Of what right? makes it so powerful to a degree is right. that you are literally stripped bare. Like, this is. This is you, and then this is me. And if you're judged, to like, together. yeah, you you won't want to. You open can up feel him. completely shameful. Yeah, absolutely. And right. the thing is, is like you'll start avoiding each other. All these things will happen, and then each person, because they're not talking, is going to be creating these stories in their head the of why they're apart. Yeah, the narratives go crazy, and then that goes on for so long, and you can't challenge the narratives you anymore. Can't. They're cemented. They're cemented in, and, and they become part of the reality for things. Like when that individual then tries to assess the situation that narrative fills the the space yeah. and creates a here's how you should feel verdict yeah and and sometimes very often shields maybe the reality and the proper alignment of yeah so i think it's it's one it's really important for people to understand what healthy sex is because like we were talking about none of our parents really like taught us what healthy sex is yeah see even me like that's kind of a, just like a weird thing to think about healthy sex yeah. I've always thought about good sex. Right, but what is healthy sex? I've never thought about necessarily. Energizing I mean, I've never, I've sex. I've never been the guy that's all about, like, just get it however you can, even if she doesn't give you consent, obviously. So that's not what I mean by good sex, but I do mean, like, the idea of healthy sex is, yeah. is different. It's very I want to say I've had a committed relationship where we exclusively had or primarily had healthy sex. Right. And so I. We're talking about shared values, like, we're both yeah. going for the same thing. That was the one of the five that I couldn't check the box off. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We're, we're like looking for different things. Yeah. So, because even I think now, like being single and having sex is very weird. Mm-hmm. At least for me. Yeah. For most sure. men, I feel like it is. Or at least they act as if it's not. But for me, it's been very weird. I think we, again, it goes back to like what we were talking about in our most recent podcast. Like, we don't want to be judged by other people and so we just pretend everything's okay or we go along with the crowd and we're we're afraid to deviate but i think people and eric you'll probably agree with me on this people struggle to talk about sex and even couples who've been in long-term relationships they want to talk about it they really do like they're trying to see is my sex healthy right we all we don't know until we ask and so i think that's one of the main reasons I wanted to do this podcast and have people on it and have this like real discussions about what sex is and what it's like for a lot of us and what love is and what it's like for a lot of us. And sure. It's so unique and so different. But sure. I think knowing what healthy sex is, learning who you are, what you need, what you like, and so go important. on that self-exploration. So important. So important. Like really, like yeah. I think it's super scary, right? To for Especially for women to, to masturbate. Like it's hard to think about like what turns me on what's the context my head has to be in? How do I need mm-hmm. to feel in this relationship? And I think for men as well, too. And then I think then you have to be open to communicating with your partner about what is going on, what sex means to you, how you would define what successful sex is. Mm-hmm. And if you and your partner are already struggling to communicate, it would be best to get in with a counselor who's trained in sex therapy, who's trained in couples therapy. Please, just on a side note, know that not all clinicians are trained 
um, in working with couples and not, and definitely the vast majority of clinicians are not trained in sex therapy. Mm. Most of us don't even have a grad school course on it. So mm. be careful with who you choose and talk to somebody who can help you work through the nuances of sex and communication. Cause most of the time, if you're, I always say sex is the barometer of a relationship. Like if a couple is struggling to communicate verbally and move through life together, they're going to struggle in the vulnerability that yeah, is sex. Definitely. So if there's already issues communication-wise, you can probably assume as a sex therapist and as a couples therapist, there's an issue with the sex, right? Sure. So, sure. Um, so, you know, there's no one right way to get through here, but know that you're not alone. Anxiety is a big part of this. Most of us didn't have healthy sex education. We get scared even thinking about learning our own selves and our own bodies and then let right. alone, you know, vulnerably going to our partner right. and sharing what we want. So it's a process. You're not going to do it overnight. It took Eric and I to get to this point, 18 years wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah, of talking and struggling and hurting each other and being lonely and angry and sometimes yeah. feeling like our needs were unmet or that you know yeah our 20s was very confusing that was that was hard it was very hard and we had nobody to talk to about it and that's one thing i want to make sure that the people who are listening here feel like they had like we're your family and like mm. we'll talk about it yeah so with tap you. in and listen yeah there are plenty of episodes and they've always got very vulnerable and insightful information, and hopefully on a subject like you said, that not a lot of people have access to quality information on, even though it's one of the most important subjects to be well informed with and to make good decisions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just because the implications are massive, right? Yeah. They're massive. They are. Well, if this was helpful to you, please keep in touch with us on Instagram at the Sonia Jensen. Follow us every Monday. We release a new episode. Share this, follow it, like it, all the things that you can do with it. And pretty soon we are going to start filming these via video so that these will soon be up on YouTube as well. So you can (laughs) see, you know, that we're all in our pajamas and some (laughs) of us are drinking wine. (laughs) We don't know. It's 100 degrees outside and I've got the fireplace on. So that's how we roll. Thanks, y'all, for listening. We are so appreciative that you're here with us. We'll see you in the next session. There you have it. If this episode hit home for you, take a second to share it with a friend, screenshot it and share it on Instagram or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to learn more tips and stay connected with Sonia, follow her on Instagram at the Sonia Jensen. And if you want to find more information, you can check out her website at www.sonyajensen.com. Until next time, remember, stay real, stay unfiltered and dig deep.